This is a podcast asking the very best in the world how to stay resilient. I'm Michael Bungay-Stanier, and we will get through this. So I'm recording this early July, early July 2020, and that's actually an important month for me because it means it is exactly a year since I stepped away from being CEO of Boxer Crayons, the company I founded, and handed the the responsibility of being the CEO over to somebody else. Now, any of you who know anything about so-called founder transitions know that most often they end up on the rocky shores of defeat because founders like me are kind of neurotic and egotistical and meddling and want to keep our fingers in the pie. And it's a really hard thing to hand over an organization that is in some ways an embodiment of you, what you stand for, what impact you want to have in the world, what values you have. And I feel like Box of Crayons kind of carried some of that identity of me in it. So who would I trust to, hand, to, to run Box of Crayons, to, to, to take responsibility, to have that same ownership of Box of Crayons that, that I feel and felt? Well, I came across a word the other day which sums up my guest and it tells you why I invited her to be the CEO of Boxer Crowns and why she's doing such a brilliant job at it. The word is Zenobia. Now, you history buffs may know who Zenobia was. Most of us, like me, probably don't. Zenobia was a third century queen of Palmyra, which is modern-day Syria. And here's the definition of Zenobia. It's, a, it's now, a, I guess, an adjective it, or a noun, a powerful unstoppable, determined woman. And Shannon Minifee, PhD, is that woman. She is a Zenobia or Zenobia or something like that. She is the CEO of Boxer Crowns, has been for a year, is doing a brilliant job. And I want to give you her kind of more formal introduction so you just get a sense of the, the talent of this woman. Shannon's career began in academia, a pursuit driven by her desire to be part of conversations she thinks are important. In 2016, she embarked on a new path, that's joining Boxer Crayons, and started a career in corporate learning and development. She brings to her role as CEO in Boxer Crayons over a decade of experience in education and in practicing incisive investigation. And actually, this is one of Shannon's superpowers, hey? just a rigor of thinking and a determination to chase it down to principles, core principles, which I love. She encourages in her team an enthusiastic discernment that brings a depth of thinking to bear on everything Box of Crayons does. She completed her PhD in English in 2019, and if I was a betting man, we're going to hear at least one literary reference in this conversation. (laughs) And while literature and literary criticism persist as her favorite hobby, she's delighted to have found a new set of professional interlocutors. Shannon Minifee. I loved that we're on having this conversation together because I love you. I respect you. You do such a great job at Boxer Crayon. So thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And thanks for that really nice introduction. It makes me sound like a real powerhouse. And I feel like um, while I do bring a lot of energy and commitment to everything that I do, there's, you know, I've said before that the things that I encountered at Box of Crayons were opportunity and grace. So it's, yeah. That's been set up nicely for me. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the things that you've overseen at Box of Crayons is 
um, a shift in our positioning as a company. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I ran it and for a long time, its center was very much on the kind of practical, tactical, we teach 10-minute coaching to busy managers so they can have more impact and lead better teams and all of that great stuff. Mm-hmm. And you've overseen a shift in the way we talk about Box of Crayons to the world as broadly speaking, we help organizations move from advice-driven to curiosity-led. You've really started to position ourselves as a company that is champion of an expert in curiosity. Yeah. But curiosity is a big word. So I'm curious to know, how do you, how do you think about curiosity? How do, you, how do you start to define it? Yeah. Um, defining curiosity is exciting. <laughs> it's, uh, as a definer of terms, um, you know, with an academic background, it poses a special set of problems because it's not that easy to define, which is what makes mm. it fun. So I, I don't think that there's a single right or even maybe best answer. And as soon as you start going down the rabbit hole of curiosity, you discover this pretty quickly. Um, I also don't think it's so complex as some other terms that don't require defining so much as constant theorizing. So like modernisms or postmodernisms, but um, right. certainly, you know, there are curiosities. Um, so while we can define it simply as a desire to know something, you know, in its simplest form, I think it's a lot richer if we think about curiosity as a sort of starting point or necessary condition for a variety of other capabilities or outcomes. So certainly that's what we believe at Box of Crayons. And that's part of that uh, broadening and that changing in the positioning that you just mentioned. Um, right. So we, we certainly believe that there's more than one way to try to make your organization, for example, more resilient, to make it more innovative, make it more engaged, more connected. But that if you can create a company culture that is more curious, so a culture that teaches and supports curiosity, then you'll find one of the more sustaining ways uh, to achieving those outcomes. So in terms of defining curiosity, it it seems that basic to all curiosity is inquiry. So the asking of questions, Mm. the potential for curiosity is, is wider than most common understandings of curiosity, as as I just said. And that's something that's evidenced by the complexities of defining the term and its many forms of which there are at least three. Um, Right. This taxonomy is in, in no way complete, um, but you know, sort of three three places to go are this idea of diversive curiosity. So this is the brand of curiosity that killed the so called cat. So it, <laughs> it, typically, it's sparked by prohibition and it's fueled yeah. by mischief. It's um, oh, it seems sort of it seems sort of childish, right? Um, th- there's also empathic curiosity which begins when we understand that there are thoughts and perspectives that exist outside of our own. And we can Mm. return to that. And then epistemic curiosity. So that which begins when we conceive of our ignorance, which creates a kind of intellectual humility and one that allows us to imagine the possibility of explanations beyond what we can ourselves think of or have thought of so far. So it's it's sort of, I love, I I, I love these Shannon. I mean, they're, they're, they, Part of what's really interesting in the shift of talking about curiosity is away from curiosity being an end state or an end game, but more Mm -hmm. as a threshold into different ways of seeing the world and engaging the world and, and probably making the world a better place because of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think of it entirely as a kind of liminal or or threshold state. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, it, the, the the very first one, the mm-hmm. what do you call it? Device. The, Divi- uh, diversive. So that's the diversive, you know, right? Yeah. It's don't touch that. I'm gonna I'm gonna touch that. I have a, <laughs> five a four year old, so I know about diversive curiosity well. And and you and you you have a founder who has the mentality of a four year old because when you go it's about prohibition and mischief I'm like oh that's me oh I'm all about that so I can see the 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 root and some of, of what I'm about yeah but it actually feels like some of the other two mm-hmm. uh, somehow a little more profound like a little more kind of connected to humanity totally and those are the two that um, so it's not that we're dismissing diverse of curiosity kind of out of hand when we think about it at box of crayons, but the ones that we're certainly mining for their potential as a, as a capacity, as capacity builders are definitely empathetic and, and epistemic and they sort of work together. So, for, so all three of those buckets. And again, I'm like, there's, there's more than those. Um, they all come from discerning this gap between what we know and what we might know. So even if you're like a child driven or, or, or Michael driven by the diversive, <laughs> um, you're still, you, it's this, Oh, I see this gap between what I know or I have access to and what I might know. So yeah. the presence or there's a kind of a tantalizing tease of more knowledge is what we know is part of what incites curiosity in the first place. So the awareness of our own ignorance turns out to be a big incentivizer of curious behaviors. And I love this, not least because it's it's a sort of paradoxical attribute. And I love a good mm. paradox. A good part of my dissertation <laughs> was in part about you know the seeming paradox of freedom within constraint. Right. Um, but it's it's cool this idea that curiosity is actually piqued by the perceived absence of understanding, and so we're motivated to fill the the gap in our existing information. So it also reveals something about the relationship between curiosity and learning, and how that's sort of a virtuous cycle. Shannon, how do you help people own the gap? Because part of, if you say that part of what this reveals, it, what, what is sparked is by you noticing the gap and then being motivated to fill the gap. Noticing the gap is an act of humility because you suddenly realize I'm not as smart as I thought I was as in control as I thought I was as on top of things as I thought I was mm-hmm. and in some ways it's a threat to you know your sense of self and your sense of identity yeah how do you help people have a reaction that is an, I'm just going to pretend that there is no gap right like and sort of emb- embrace that gap rather than uh avoid yeah. it deny yeah. the gap yeah yeah. So I think this comes back to, um, so back to asking questions. So one of the things I love about the nuance of curiosity as we're thinking about it at Box of Crayons and thinking about the programs we can build out um, that help create this curiosity muscle in people is that it's not just about posing questions to others, though that is one form of inquiry that we encourage. And, and certainly our programs and coach like curiosity, um, you know, really double down on that posing questions to others, but it's also crucially about asking questions of ourselves. Um, So being curious about why we think the way we do and what motivates our behaviors. And part of that, and this is speaking to what you're saying about like, how do you get people to embrace that rather than deny it? It's because conversations that are, are question based is one form of curiosity, but real conversation that truly sees the other person is predicated on solitude. Because it's in solitude and in curiosity about ourselves first that we learn to think for ourselves and develop a sort of sense of ourself and our own 
weirdnesses <laughs> and that's right. essential for taking other people as they are. Um, uh-huh. The Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor, I think I mentioned to him uh, to you a few times before, talks about this ability to really see the otherness of people different from you as being right. predicated on our recognizing the power of, of their beliefs, the beliefs we don't necessarily hold, but recognizing that they have power for other people as, again, simply dismissing them. And in order to do that, you need to get upfront and honest about what your own beliefs or assumptions are that you hold and how you sort of insidiously manage to incorporate them into some so-called obsensive, uh, objective sense of your own reality which is in fact very subjective. So, you know, you've got to actually sit there and face that in yourself um, in order Mm -hmm. to to really see, to see other people as they are. So I think that- This has has particular resonance in a time when there's all this conversation about systemic racism, for instance, in institutions. And that moment of some people going, there's not- and perhaps not seeing how their beliefs are just and their privilege are just kind of woven into the fabric of how things work. Yeah. And for many of us, kind of becoming more aware of of just how that how that's happened, how in an insidious way, particularly if you're in a position of privilege, your institutions reflect that that structure that allows you to be favored. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's totally a self-inventory that requires trying to climb outside of the system that you're in, which is basically impossible, in order to right. to peer down into it and see how it's it's formed your your way of thinking. Yeah, it also reminds me of how I think of emotional intelligence, you know, which mm-hmm. is um a phrase is used not it's not I don't hear it as often as I as I used to hear it. It's kind of now now people talk about growth mindset as kind of the successor mm-hmm. to emotional intelligence you know everything has its has its day but mm-hmm. emotional intelligence for me i always i'm not sure what the official definition is but i always thought of it as an ability to see yourself in a situation and to mm-hmm. effectively ask yourself how's this going <laughs> is this how you want to be showing up is this how you want yeah. to be the person you want to be and again it's that ability to um to to, in, to see yourself to interrogate yourself and how you show up and and how you're acting and how you and what you believe and that comes through this this um based on empathetic curiosity yeah absolutely i think you know curiosity helps make us more capable of at, at least three things that uh two, two of which would strongly uh contribute to that kind of emotional intelligence so one is this ability to be humble um and so like you're saying you know asking questions of ourselves helps us to slow down long enough to interrogate assumptions, ours and others that inform what Mm. and and how we think. So curiosity's ability to aid us in this interrogation leads us to this kind of intellectual humility. And that, and that seems really important, as you said, now as, as much as ever. Um, And the primacy of our own subjectivity and, and everything in the culture and the system works against us in thinking that, that that our default ways of thinking are are the are the right and only ways, right? So we tend right. to use our own reasoning capacities as well to sift out information that already supports our opinion and supports our position, and sort of gloss over evidence that doesn't. 
Yeah, but we have all these cognitive biases that are all are there to say, <laughs> Michael, you're awesome, and you're almost certainly right. <laughs> and they're right. like, yeah, maybe not. Yeah, and, and we've been actively doing it, do it, which is is um, which like I'm ashamed of it. You know, it's like you're you encounter someone, you're like, yeah, I don't think I'm gonna care about what your opinion is. I don't want to hear it. Like you, you sometimes <laughs> acknowledge to yourself that you, I'm not actually not right. looking for a different opinion. I'm looking for the one that's closer to my own. But when we're exploring mm-hmm. in, a, in a really curious capacity, when we're really seeing others where they are, we aren't looking to confirm an already held belief that we have. And we're not looking to possess knowledge in order to exert control. Um, so it's a sort of, you know, pursuing curiosity for curiosity's sake or knowledge for knowledge's sake, which is, I guess, apparently a uniquely human um, thing as well. So unlike some other pursuits of knowledge, it, it sort of lacks this impulse to right. dominate or to confirm our own opinion. Um, and it's instead characterized by a kind of wonder for and a delight in discovering what is unknown, uh, which is, you know, as you said before, it's it's hard to get people to delight in discovering what is unknown, especially in an organization. And if you're a leader and you're doing that publicly, <laughs> it's hard to right. delight in, in not knowing things. Yeah. How, tell me a bit more about epistemic curiosity. And I'm not even sure what the word epistemic means. How, can you give me a kind of sense of what that actually means? Yeah. So, you know, episteme is more broadly meaning, you know, just like systems of knowledge. So epistemic curiosity is, is about knowledge for knowledge's sake. So it's, it, go, it points back to this idea that uh, curiosity and learning are um, in this sort of symbiotic relationship or the sort of virtuous cycle where we, we perceive that there, there's a, a sort of gap or limit to what we know about something already. And we're excited about filling that gap. So this is, it has an interesting implication for thinking about incurious, like incurious people. So I think often, um, we default to thinking that curiosity is very strongly a trait of people rather than sort of a state. So like uh, fed by the and encouraged by the environment. And often, uh, I guess it turns out that people who are incurious, actually just, they don't have the spark of information that they need to, to incite that curiosity in the first place. Mm. So educate, like the discourse around curiosity, like I'm, I'm relatively new to, to all the rabbit holing of discourse of curiosity. It's been like a year. (laughs) Right. But it seems still, and you know, and despite like bounds being made by um, um, like folks researching and, and doing studies in organizations, it seems like the the conversation is mostly owned by educators. So right. From like Rousseau to Montessori and between helicoptering as a parental method and you know uh, alternative right. school, there's a real focus on how do we create a state in which children will thrive and will have curiosity and courage. And it seems like like this, it seems like this big miss or this gap for me that there's such a focus on how do we get children to, uh, to become more curious as though the both what will ha- like what we set them up for as children will somehow like withstand the test of time, regardless of what in like <laughs> right. environment they find themselves in, and also that we spend less of our time in school. Well, most people do. I spent I spent too long there as right. my financial 
Budweiser said, but I think <laughs> most people <laughs> spend way less time in their formal education, certainly in their young education than they do in the uh, organizations they go on to work in. So why sure. do we spend so much time doing that? So anyway, it's interesting. The, the idea so of the you can feel the crushing lack of humanity in organizations as they slowly extract all the curiosity you spent your childhood quietly nurturing. Right, right. <laughs> or is well, that too bleak? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little too bleak, but I think what, what, it, what it seems like is that um, people focus on education and, and pedagogy have been focused on how to um, right. how to create more curiosity through different modes of, of teaching and learning for longer than organizations have been. Like they haven't, organizations absolutely slower on the uptake around, oh, wow, this, this could be good for business. And, um, you know, if, if learning is one of the things that sparks curiosity, then how, how do we create a, a learning culture? You know, you just called a growth mindset, but another one of yeah. the sort of umbrella terms that gets bandied about. So there's, there's so much here, Shannon. It's really, I mean, I'm like, oh, <laughs> can we just have a, can we have a four hour lunch to talk about this? And we will have that. Um, yeah. yeah. One day we I, can. <laughs> one day, exactly, when we get to back together. Um, yeah. A couple of things. I, I'd, I'd love you to pick one of these to talk about to start off with. One is around, you know, incurious people just don't have that initial spark to get curious. And mm-hmm. whether you go, so can we ever re-spark those people or is is that kind of a dead engine? How do we get that alive? And then you said something else about how do you build the organizational structures that make it more likely that curiosity is a thing that can take root and thrive. Um, yeah. They're both big topics. I'm wondering if you, which one you want to go with. Well, maybe I'll cursorily address the first <laughs> and then mm. and we can spend more time on the second. So I'm not going to choose one, but we're going to go really short on the first. So okay. the first one, just because I just want to clarify. So this, because definitely it seems like the finding is that there is kind of no such thing as incurious people um, uh-huh. as a, as a state kind of of nature. So, right. so, and, and so but this is important as we go into the second question too, because if it were, so first of all, the reason that they're incurious might be because they, we need to give some baseline knowledge to spurn their desire for further learning. So, so, they, see, so they see the gap. So they see the gap. Yeah. And so that they're, and they're like appetite is whetted. So yeah. if you ever tried to ask people for feedback or said like, oh, you know, what are you curious about? And you've gotten silence. You might be like, oh, well, no one's curious here. You might also be like, oh, maybe I needed to spark some thinking in some way in order to yeah. get that, that curiosity going. At least like this is, this is what the uh, research in, in children and educational settings certainly shows that, that we can yeah, nice. create curiosity is a state to be nurtured. It's not just a trait. So that's important because if you're an organization trying to create curiosity as a capability, it would just be a recruiting strategy. Right. Like you just right. like, we just need to find curious people as opposed to we are going to cultivate curiosity um, in, in the people that we have. So, mm-hmm. so it's important to recognize that, that in curiosity is something that can be changed by the state. So state and, and not a trait. So in terms of um, the actual, how do you support that organizationally? So um, folks like Aaron Dignan, who I, he was on your. um, Yeah, he's been on this podcast. Yeah. So he, his, so firms like the ready and, and others, I guess, look at 
the operating systems of an organization. So what are the explicit and implicit ways in which processes um, like promote certain behaviors and stifle others? Um, and Box of Crayons doesn't do that kind of consulting work of going in and let's look at all of your processes and, and change your processes so that in every way they're more curious. The approach that we take is more around how do we create, um, so it's more around a relationship between individual behavior change and the broader mm. organizational change and, and where the that first thing starts to bleed into the latter. So we work with individuals and organizations to help them see what's in it for them to in to sort of encounter and be curious about why they want to rush in to give advice, why they make assumptions about other people that they do, so that they can see that there are better and different ways of working. And that uh, you know, and giving them the ability to to see that and have that sort of like gut investment in, I want to change the way that I show up for the longer term, um, changing that in, in individuals so that it starts to change the broader organizational culture is is the the partnership, the, the piece of the partnership that we play. So it's important that the organization be as a sort of uh, like a supportive environment for that change. Those individual right. behaviors won't thrive in an organization with structures um, or dynamics that shut down curiosity, but we're we're we kind of lean into that piece of of uh, working with individuals to shape their their mindsets and then give them some uh, practical tools around around practicing curiosity. So how do we get them asking more and better questions? Yeah, themselves, yeah. others. So Shannon, one of the, the, I mean, the topic of this, the title of this podcast is we will get through this and there's a connection to resilience in its broader mm -hmm. sense around what are the insights and the tools and the ways of thinking about resilience at an individual and at a team and at a system or organizational level. You've hinted at this, but can you make the connection for me between being more curious and how that might contribute to an increased sense of resilience, whether that's at an individual level or a team or an organizational level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we think curiosity helps us be more resilient because curiosity, especially when it's widely encouraged of everyone, is one of the best ways to create possibilities that help us respond to change and, and face problems with with energy and a sort of openness and, and with hope. So it's a, it's a way to be innovative every day in all kinds of little ways, a way to reflect on how and why you do things and, and to make changes accordingly. So having a culture that truly encourages curiosity is, is crucial to enabling this kind of innovation and, and resilience. So this ability to constantly learn and adapt. Um, and, it, and it comes from, I think, or it's rooted in, in those other capacities that we started to talk about around empathy and humility that curiosity helps develop. Because our ability to be open to new questions and open to the unknown and kind of not panic, but embrace that um, yeah. and, and be open to differing points of view is part of what enables this kind of crowdsourced approach to to, to problem solving, which is part of, of organizational resilience, right? Like how do you, how do you change course and how do you bounce back? It's uh, I mean, it feels like we've come full circle in the interview because we started off by talking about that gap and how do you become comfortable with the gap and that, yeah. that comfort with the gap is in fact resilience. It's like a, a moment of resilience and a time of uncertainty in that kind of microcosm between, Oh, I see what I don't know. 
how do I get from here to there? That requires curiosity and resilience to make that journey. And you kind of, you're, you're, you're bringing it back to make that connection now, which is fantastic. Yeah. And you, you said that before, like that, that um, part of that discomfort is that uh, it's a liminal, it's a threshold space as you called it. Right. And I think curiosity, it does, it holds us in a liminal space uh, and people tend not to like liminal spaces. Um, and, And we're all being tried right now as we navigate a new world struck by a pandemic. We find ourselves in an in-between space that's uncomfortable. It's a discomfort that for some of us has, you know, as you mentioned, is recently compounded by, uh, you know, a broader awareness of systemic injustice and the sort of uh, personal self-inventory and, and reckoning. Um, and it's an inventory which, if done honestly, is uncomfortable. And so a lot of us find ourselves sitting in this liminal space, um, but like a threshold curiosity's liminality is a, is a feature of it being a vessel to another way. Right. So it's also a passing through. You don't sit there forever. <laughs> it's, right. it's, it's a feature of it is that you're moving through. Shannon, for people who want to cross the threshold and find out more about Box of Crayons and the work that Box of Crayons does and the company that you lead, where, we, where should you point them? Where do you want them to go and visit? Yeah, I would, I would point them to our website, so boxofcrayons.com. And check us out on on LinkedIn as well too. We're always sharing resources, um, of just you know, different ways of thinking about curiosity and all the research that we're seeing all the time about how curiosity broadens these uh, these capacities and capabilities for humility and empathy and, and resilience, which have a huge implication for organizational success. Yeah, the LinkedIn the LinkedIn follow is a good one because it's a real sense of a curation of the interesting stuff that's out there. And if you're yeah. interested in curiosity, you'll find on the the Box of Crowns LinkedIn feed. Just a ton of really well-picked resources to help broaden your thinking and deepen your thinking around that as well. Yeah, exactly. Shannon, this has been great. I, I mean, I'm not at all surprised because, you know, I adore you and I think you're amazing. Um, but I love that other people listening in get to hear just how smart and thoughtful you are around this and just how important curiosity is. So thanks so much for being part of this today. Thanks, Michael. It's been really fun. Hey, it's Michael here two things before you go. The first is a gift. The second is a request. The gift, I want you to go to mbs.works and hunt down the year of living brilliantly. Really, it's some of my best work because it is a 52-week, 52-teacher, absolutely free video-based course where I spend a lot of time curating some of the smartest people I know and saying, teach me the best of what you've got. If you're looking to really step up, to have a year that's just a little bit sweeter, a little bit better than the year you've just had, that is a terrific resource. So please go and check that out. Absolutely free, no obligation, nothing required other than for you to sign up and get going on it. And then for the request, I just want what every podcast host wants, which is a little bit of love. So if you'd consider going to iTunes or Spotify or whatever your favorite podcast platform is, and giving the podcast a bit of a rating and a bit of a review, that would be amazing. Thank you.